Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you are with us. Your presence is very, very much with us, Lord. We are grateful for the joy of your presence, of your power, of your strength, of your love. We just ask that you uh, speak to us in this time, uh, instruct us, help us to understand a little bit more of your scriptures and what they mean to us. Lord, we just give you this time in the name of Christ. Amen. A few years ago, there's an amusement park called Cedar Point, and they introduced a new roller coaster. They called it a Top Thrill Dragster, and it looked... Oops, i got to turn this on, right, to make it work. Simple thing. Top Thrill Dragster. And what made it as a Top Thrill Dragster is it has a, a, 40, a 420-foot first drop. Nine, you see they're 90 degrees straight down. And then it reaches speeds up to 120 miles per hour. And it has a twisting first drop. And so it makes it very, very... Thrilling, exciting, maybe even a little dangerous, yes? I mean, roller coasters, I don't know about you, but I love roller coasters. I love that they're exciting. I love that they're fun. I love that they're fast. I love that they're maybe a little dangerous, right? Now, I was thinking about David, as we're going to talk about David this, uh, this morning. I was thinking, you know, David's life's kind of, you know, you might think about your life too. It's kind of like a roller coaster, isn't it? There's highs in your life, there's lows in your life, it goes fast sometimes, slow other times. It's a little dangerous and exciting and fun, all wrapped up together. It's kind of like riding on a roller coaster. Well, we're going to look at David's life and see that he had the maybe sometimes boring, but sometimes exciting life of a shepherd. And then his life got kind of turned upside down, right? Because he got chosen to be king. And then on top of that, King Saul didn't want to give up the kingdom, and so then King Saul tried to kill David. And so his life had all these twists and turns, all this excitement with a little bit of danger thrown in. So this third Sunday of Advent, as we look at the, the Sunday of joy, we are going to talk about uh, David experiencing this exciting life that God gave him, but more so than anything, the joy came to David because he knew that God was always present in his life. Have you ever felt like you don't measure up? Usually when that happens, it's because we're comparing ourselves to someone else, right? We're looking at someone else's life. Maybe they're more attractive than us. Maybe they're more successful than us. Maybe they have something that we don't have. Maybe they are liked more than we feel like we are liked. Whatever reason, when we don't feel like we measure up, it's because we are comparing ourselves to someone else or someone else's life, or comparing ourselves to the life we thought we might want to have, we wish we would have, but we don't have right now. Fortunately for us, God is not concerned with what we have or don't have. God is not so concerned with our outward appearance or whether we seem to be strong or not. God is more concerned with our heart, who we are in our faith, in our trusting of God. That is what God is concerned about. And we need to understand that we're in a, when we're in a relationship with God, all that matters is that God makes all that happens, that he wants to happen, he makes that happen in our lives. 
And so if there's something not in your life that's not happening, God doesn't want that happening in your life. Maybe you want that in your life, but God says, no, I have something different from you. And you can only imagine how David, being a shepherd, imagined one thing and how something completely different came into his life. As we come to the story, chapter 11, we see that Saul has been chosen as the king. Remember, they were crying out to God, God, all the other nations have a king. We don't have a king. And so God said, well, I'm supposed to be your king, but since you want a physical king, I'm going to give you Saul. Saul's going to be your king. Saul was supposed to rule in the name of the Lord for God, for his people, right? But Saul's arrogance and refusal to follow God as king, in the end, God rejected Saul as king. And so God said, you know what? Saul's no longer going to be the king. We're going to choose a new king. Remember, we, we talked about Samuel last week. Samuel became a prophet for God. God said, I'm going to do things that are going to make men's ears tingle. And at this point, Samuel says, I want you to go, and you're going to choose a new king. And so Samuel goes to the house of Jesse. And he starts to look at Jesse's son. And Jesse had some impressive sons, right? Physically imposing, handsome, strong. They looked like leaders. And one after another, they came before Samuel, and Samuel looked at them, was impressed with them, what he saw. And he would say these words regularly. He said, surely the, anoint, the Lord's anointed is before him. And God said, no, this is not my anointed. So the next one would come. And then Samuel said, surely the Lord's anointed <laughs> is before him. He was thoroughly impressed by son after son after son. He went through all the sons, right? And the Lord said, no, 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 no. And finally... Samuel's like, well, these are all the sons, right? And Jesse says, well, I have one more, but he's out tending the sheep, right? God says, go get him. And so David is brought before Samuel. And we see God saying this. And when you see underlined parts, please read with me. 1 Samuel 16, 7. God says to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We tend to do that, don't we? We look at someone, we look at their appearance, and right away we, we make judgments, right? If they're wearing dirty clothes and they're torn and they're not showered, we're going to make a judgment about them. If they're wearing a suit and they're all proper and they're driving a Jaguar, we're going to make a judgment about them, right? We make judgments on the outward appearance. But God says, I don't judge on the outward appearance. I judge on the inward appearance. And that's good news for you and me. And so David comes along. He's young. He's not very tall. He's, we, we're told that he was handsome, but he's, he's not. He's kind of rough looking. I mean, he's a shepherd. He's out there, you know, in the sun and in the dirt and tending the sheep. And, and he comes along. And Samuel could not believe that he was the one to be chosen as king. But that is who God had chosen. Why? Because God does not look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. God looks at your heart, and God looks at, are you going to be a faithful follower of mine? Are you going to walk with me? Then I can use that. You can't lift a saxophone case? That's okay. I'll lift it for you. You don't have that talent? That's okay. My spirit can put that in you. Anything I want you to do, I can make happen. All I need from you is, will you trust in me? And that's what he saw in David. And then we heard the scripture in 1 
Samuel 16, 12, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. See, one thing is interesting is that David was chosen as king, but another thing you have to understand is Saul was still king. And Saul, remember, he was arrogant, he was prideful, and he wouldn't give the kingdom up. So it was going to be 15 years after David is anointed as king by the Lord before he actually becomes king. 15 years. We were talking out there saying, you know, sometimes a month seems like a long time, right? Last month of pregnancy is really long, right? Last month before finals is really long, right? When you're young and you're waiting for Christmas, that last month of before Christmas is really long, right? A month can seem like a long time in the right, right times, right? 15 years David had to wait before he became king. Interesting that God is having Samuel choose David to be the next king, and in the meantime, Samuel is still king, doing kingly things, right? He's out fighting with his army. He's leading his army. He is still the, the reigning king. He's still the one that is in charge. So we need to understand that sometimes we have to wait for God's plan to happen, right? We may feel a calling. We may feel a desire. We may feel a leading. We may see an opportunity. But then God says, let it happen in its time. But, but God, but I want it to happen now. No, sometimes preparations have to be made. Sometimes things have to happen. I have to be working things out. I have to be organizing and designing things to be right and put in place, right? And then at the right time, then you will be made king. At the right time, then you will fulfill the calling that God has for you. We must learn to wait on the Lord. So King Saul and the Israelites are fighting the Philistines. But it was not going well because they had a champion. And you know this champion well, right? His name was Goliath. Goliath was a giant. He was an undefeated champion. Israelite after Israelite would come out there and they would battle, they would battle Goliath and they would lose. And he would, he would be this huge gloating victor. You ever heard the, the term trash talk? Trash talk is, is usually done in sports especially in basketball, because of the close proximity of the players, right? Maybe soccer, I don't know. Sometimes maybe they do it. But trash talk, what it really is, is you're trying to get under the skin of the, of the opponent. You're trying to, to get them angry. You're trying to get them off the game, right? And so like in basketball, maybe you score a basket. You know, Kobe Bryant was a huge trash talker, right? He'd score a basket and look at his defender and said, I'm going to score on you all night. Or he'd score on him and say, there's no way you're going to be able to guard me tonight. I am really hot tonight. And they would, and they probably say worse things than that, but you know, I probably can't say that in church. You know what they say in the basketball game. But the whole goal of the trash talking is to get the other person off their game so that they're not playing well and it makes their team not do as well. So this is what the first trash talker was probably Goliath. Really. I mean, he would he would say things like, um, so we're gonna deal with David and Goliath, and uh well, he would say things against them and against their God. So, oh, he'd say, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. In other words, you know, there's no man come out yet. Nobody's fought me. Is anybody, is any man out there? Any man out there? Come on, come fight me, right? And he would taunt them with what he said. 
Now, this is happening over a 40-day period. And David, remember, he's just a shepherd still, right? And so his brothers are out there fighting, and his job was to come and to bring them um, water and, and supplies. Well, one day, he was out there, and he was bringing the supplies, and he heard Goliath defying the armies of God, and in essence, defying his God himself, right? Do you ever get bothered when you hear people talking against God? Do you ever get bothered when people use God's name as a swear word or Jesus' name as a swear word? Do you just ignore it or do you say something? See, most of the time, we want to be nice, right? And we don't say anything. But we should say something. We should say something because that's God's name that they're taking in vain. Well, read the underlying part with me. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So David came, he heard Goliath trash talking, and David was so upset, he said, I'm going to go fight this Philistine. But David, you're not a soldier. But he is defying the name of God, my God. The name needs to be defended. So they try to put Saul's armor on David. Now, remember, David wasn't very tall. And his, the, the armor was so big. It's kind of like, you know, if you have a little kid. Remember when they used to put your clothes on? And they have shoes, and the shoes are, like, huge, and the shirt's, like, hanging down, and they're tripping over the shirt because it's all the way to the ground, right? But they wanted to be dressed like you, right? Remember that? Well, David's wearing Saul's armor, and it's way too big. And so David says, this is ridiculous. I, I'm going to take what I know. I have a sling. I have five rocks. That's all I need. And they're looking at him like, this is Goliath. You're going to go out there, no armor, with a sling and five rocks. And David said, yeah. So David goes out there, and there he is, right? He's got a sling, and there's this huge, giant Goliath. And he's probably just laughing at David, right? Like, I'm calling for a man. This is who you send me? Nobody else out there is willing to fight me. You send a boy to fight me, right? Imagine this, right? David is not a soldier. He's a shepherd. He's not experienced in battle. And he's out there with a sling and five rocks against a champion who's a giant and never been defeated one-on-one -on -one with this giant. But David has a courageous heart. And David has a powerful faith. And David has a trust in God that God will have his back. Just like I helped Andrew lift the saxophone case, David knew that God would be with him in this battle. In fact, so much so, David was so encouraged by his faith that this is what he said to Samuel. Oh, did I, I went ahead. We'll get there. 1 Samuel 17, 45 to 47. David said to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord. And I'm sure at that point, Goliath is shaken now, right? Probably not. I come in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Now at this time, Goliath is probably really laughing. God will deliver you in my hand, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. This is David's words, right? He's out there with a sling and five stones, and this is what he's saying to Goliath. 
And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there, there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves. The Lord saves, not with spear and sword. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Now David's doing some trash talking, right? It's a little boy, there's a little shepherd out there, no armor, and he's trash talking Goliath, the undefeated champion. But David knows these are not just words. David is buoyed by his faith, knowing that God is fully with him and that he will indeed win the victory. Have you, we've seen that in the story time and time again, don't we? When God says, when you have faith in me and you trust in me, I will fight for you and you will be victorious because I am with you. And David had that faith. And so Goliath starts running. I'm sure he's so enraged right now, right? And he comes running at David. And David is standing there, standing in his ground, and he has the Spirit of the Lord upon him. Remember, from the time he was anointed, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, right? And he took out a stone, and he flung the stone at, at Goliath, and it hit him right in the forehead, right in the middle of the forehead, and it dropped him to the ground. And this giant, as he was falling, I'm sure a silence was heard, or there was silence. Nothing was heard on both sides. I'm sure... The Israelites were surprised by this. They're probably just like, go, David, we don't want to go. If you go, we don't have to go, right? And the Philistines are laughing at David's words. And when this happens, both sides are quiet, probably so quiet that when Goliath hit the ground, you actually heard the thud of Goliath's body hitting the ground. So David prevails with a sling and a stone, and he does exactly what he said he was going to do. He cuts off the head of Goliath, to show that this champion was truly dead and that God was the true champion, that God was the victor. David didn't say, look, me, I'm the victor. David knew that it was God's doing, that God was the victor. And this gave new uh, confidence to the, to the Israelites, and they started rushing towards the Philistines, and the Philistines now were thoroughly afraid and they started running away, and the Israelites won the victory. Now, it's important that we need to be encouraged by the Lord's presence in our life. See, the joy comes. Uh, Evelyn was talking about how, how happiness and joy are not the same. Joy comes in the midst of highs and lows of life because we know that God is always with us. And in the end, God will win a victory for us. That's where the joy comes. You're not joyful because something bad happens in your life. You're joyful because in the midst of the bad, you know that God is going to do something good in that experience. God's going to teach you or God's going to prepare you for something or God's going to make something happen because of this event, something else will happen God will take care of it for you. That's where the joy comes. And, and David knew that the joy was that the presence of the Lord was with him. And Saul was very impressed with David's victory and brought him into the, the service of the king's court. He was so happy because in Saul's, in Saul's mind, I'm the king. My army wins. Who wins? I, the king, win the victory, right? So Saul takes it on himself. David gives honor to God. Saul gives honor to himself. 
Look, we've won the victory. Look, you've made me look good, David. I'm going to keep you around. I'm going to bring you into my court. You're going to be one of my servants. But David began to, to gain popularity. And as soon as they returned from the battle, it's interesting because the news has traveled fast and the women come out to meet David. And, they, and the women sang to one another as celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, think about Saul, right? Saul is this arrogant person and he hears these women lauding praise over David. And Saul begins to feel underappreciated. I'm the king. I'm the one that's supposed to be lifted up. Not David. Who's David? He's just some shepherd that I let fight a battle for me, right? But they're lifting up David, and he's gaining popularity. He begins to wonder what else might be in store. And he says this, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? Right? Saul is already thinking. I mean, he doesn't know. God's already given David the kingdom, right? God's already made David the king. But Saul is like, wow, I'm a little worried about this. What? He's going to be after the kingdom. Well, God already gave it to him. But anyway, Saul's worried about this, right? So Saul removes David from his presence because of his jealousy and his anger towards David. And he makes him the captain of the army. But that just turns out to be worse, right? Because God is with David and all he does. And David goes out and wins victory after victory. And the more victories David wins, the more popularity he gains. Now for David, the popularity, all the glory goes to God. But for Saul, all he sees is all his glory going to David. And he's losing the glory he thinks as king he is supposed to have. So I want us to make an important note here. In this story, one of the things as you read in chapter 11, one of the things you'll, you'll notice is the difference to how David and Saul deal with jealousy and anger, especially anger. When Saul gets angry, he seeks to take care of it on his own. He seeks to, to rid himself of whatever is causing him to be angry, right? This is, this is I'm going to take care of this so that people will again look to me as their savior, really. David, whenever he gets concerned or fearful, not even angry, because at this point he's fearful. Saul was more fearful. Whenever David gets fearful, what he does is he turns to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord. He prays to the Lord. He looks to the Lord to be his strength and his savior. One of the great example is when David uh, was chased into a cave by Saul. Saul now has vowed to kill David. He's like, I have to rid myself of this person because as long as he's alive, then I can't be the true king and I can't be, you know, receive the glory. And so Saul is after David now. Saul's son, Jonathan, who is David's best friend, warns David. So David starts to flee. Saul's chasing David. Do you remember this roller coaster I was talking about? Right now, it's probably that, that first 90-degree, 420-foot drop, right, in David's life. David is being sought by the king to kill him. And he's in this cave. He's in this cave. And David prays a prayer that's recorded in Psalm 142. We're gonna, all the underlying parts, read with me. Okay, We're going to read the whole psalm, seven verses. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. 
With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. It's good advice, isn't it? What is troubling you? Tell your trouble to the Lord. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. He's talking to the Lord, right? In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me, right? He's at, the king's after him. There's no one that's going to protect him from the king. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. You can feel the concern that David's having. The king is after him to kill him. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. I look to you, Lord. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low because of this experience he's going through. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Remember the lifting of the saxophone case. Too strong. It's too hard. It's too much. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Now later we see that twice David has the opportunity to, the king, to kill King Saul, and he doesn't do it. Why? Kind of out of honor for the Lord and honor for Saul, who was the king still. In David's mind, this is still the king, and I'm going to have honor for that position. I'm going to have honor for that authority in our land. He is still the rightful king, and I'm not going to kill, kill him. See, Saul was made the first king of the people. He could have done so much. He was supposed to lead for the Lord. He's supposed to lead the people to the Lord all the more. He's supposed to say, yes, you follow me, and I provide for you as king, but the ultimate king is God. That's the one you're supposed to look to. But Saul didn't do that. Saul took in the power and he said, yes, worship me. Look to me. I am the one that will take care of your needs. You know, worship me, he kept saying. And Saul lost the whole point of what it meant to be king, to be a servant of the Lord. And sometimes we do that, don't we? God gives us some, some success, and we take the glory on ourselves. God gives us some triumph, some victory. We receive the glory ourselves, right? Oh, that was great that you did that. Oh, you're so wonderful, right? No, the Lord did this for me. We should give glory to the Lord. Our joy is in the Lord, not in, in the, the uplifting, not in the the accolades, the joy, our joy is in the Lord. We need to be like David, who go to God in prayer and not seek to take things into our hands, who understand that the Lord is our refuge, the Lord is our strength, the Lord is the one who will help us win the battle. And so David is finally made king. He becomes king um, because even though David didn't kill Saul, Saul ended up killing himself. If you read the story, you'll follow that. And so now with Saul dead, David becomes king. And we see in David's life that he wasn't concerned with military success as much as he was concerned with serving the Lord and leading the people in the Lord. In fact, the military successes were just basically another reason to give glory to God for the one who provides, the one who makes um, all things happen for his people. David wanted his people to love God. In all of this, we see that David has a heart for God. David had great faith and knew that God was with him. David lied, relied on God to provide for him and to protect him and to watch over him and to lead him. And because of this, David 
help the people to understand this perspective. And he became the king that Saul should have been. He became the servant, shepherd king that God desired. Because God is the ultimate king. God is the ultimate ruler. Whatever we have, whether it's a pastor or, or anyone in our life that we, we have honor for, ultimately, the honor needs to go to God. Amen? Honor needs to go to God. You know, David wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms in the Bible. 73 of the 150 Psalms. And in many of his Psalms, we see the deep love of David for the Lord. I just want to share Psalm 3, 1 to 4 with you. Read the yellow with me. This is David's part of David's uh, prayer, the Psalm. Lord, how many are my foes? You know, when you're a king, you have a lot of foes, right? <laughs> Not only in other lands, but in your own, your own people, right? People who want to take over the kingdom. And we'll see that more next, uh, next time when we go to chapter 12. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from the holy mountain. Do you see how David gives honor to God? Do you see how all things that God does comes back to him through the king who lets the people know who is that example, that shepherd king, that, that servant follower, that the people see that in their leader, and it leads them to do that as well. Right? David is a great leader that the people loved and respected because of his faith, not because of his power or strength, his faith and love for God. David has almost always put God first, and because of this, the people learned how to put God first in their life. We need to learn how to put God first in our life. We live in a world that makes it very difficult to put God first in our life. And as shepherd king, we see David's trust in God. Psalm 23:1. read that with me. The Lord is my shepherd, right? My shepherd. What does a shepherd do? He cares for his sheep, right? A sheep is totally dependent on the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, what? I shall not want. Do you believe that? I hope you believe that because that's where joy comes from. The Lord is my shepherd. He looks over me. He knows my needs. He knows what I, what I need, not what I want, what I think I'm supposed to have, not what I think I deserve. God knows what I need, and I, not, I shall not want for what I truly need. And we see that down, we talked about this in the story of Ruth, right? From, the, from Ruth came David, right, down the line, and from David comes Jesus. Now, you can't read that. And it's wonderful. It's in the shape of a Christmas tree, right? Um, but you have to trust me. It starts with Abraham at the top. Remember, the call goes out to Abraham. We go all down the line. Ruth is in there in the middle. Jesse, David's right there in the middle, right? You go all the way down to the bottom, and then it says, and born of Mary is, and you can fill in that blank, right? Jesus, right? Born of Mary is Jesus. Starts with Abraham, goes all the way down to Jesus. Jesus was a shepherd king too, wasn't he? He came and the people wanted him to be a king of power, right? But he was a king of love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. He was one who cared for his people. Remember him standing on the mountaintop looking over the valley and saying, Oh, my people, they are in need of a shepherd. 
They're in need, in need of someone to guide them in the right direction. They have lost their joy because they are not trusting in the Lord. And Jesus was a shepherd to lead his people back to God. Jesus was a shepherd in that he expected people to follow him. And as we follow the Lord faithfully, we will truly experience the joy of the Lord in our life. See, God calls us to be people of joy. Again, not because everything goes right. You know, some people have this, this misunderstanding that once I become a Christian, nothing bad will ever happen in my life again, right? Oh, the Lord will just bring only good things. You know, there's, there's a teaching like that. It's called prosperity theology. Prosperity theology, and it's not biblical. Prosperity theology says that once you are a follower of Christ, you will prosper God will make you successful. You'll have everything you can imagine that you want and need. God will take care of everything. You will be successful and prosperous. You know what? What happens in those times when something goes wrong? What happens when our, our loved ones pass away? What happens when, we, when we lose someone in a relationship? Or what happens when we fail a test? Or what happens when we find out we're sick? How does the prosperity theology help us then? It doesn't, because it's not biblical. God says, in those lows, you have the highs, but in those lows, yea, that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's near the end of Psalm 23. Joy comes in knowing that God is with us. Being a people of joy means that we trust in the Lord at all times and in all ways and for all things, and we rest in God as our help and as our refuge. David, being made king, gave people great joy as he encouraged them to be in a deep, deeper relationship with God. We find joy when we have that deeper relationship with Jesus when we choose to make Jesus our focal point and not ourselves. Jesus is our focal point and not our jobs. Jesus is our focal point and not our families. Jesus is our focal point and not all these things that we desire. Jesus as our focal point is what brings us joy. In the midst of life being like a roller coaster, as we saw in David's life and our lives too, I could talk to you about your story, and I'm sure there's highs and there's great lows. In the midst of our life being like a roller coaster, we can know that the one constant is God. And the one who brings us through all of that and comforts us in that and brings us into victory for his glory is God. Let's pray.